Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. By random chance, with no hints at all As to how we're supposed to make sense of it all It's immensely bizarre, here we are Welcome everybody to the Here We Are podcast You may remember uh, back in Thanksgiving week We had a couple episodes with uh, with uh, some people at the Central City Concern Talking about the, uh, the homeless uh, um, uh, issues in Portland And talking about housing and and um, healthcare and and all sorts of stuff. If if you didn't catch those, make sure and listen back to those episodes, and which I um, referred to in the intro. And today I have Leanne Keller, who I actually met um, at one of my old high school buddies' weddings uh, <laughs> earlier this year. And uh, and then I later found out that she is working with the Central City Concern, and so she was able to um, put me in touch with the communications director, and that's how all of this came to be. Uh, and so thank you very much, Leanne, <laughs> for joining me, and thanks for setting yeah. all this up. What do you do here at the Central City Concern? Um, so I've been uh, working here for about a year now um, under a new grant that um, has been funded in uh, Portland. Um, it's, a, it's a nationwide grant, however, it's very new to Portland. Um, I'm, the, I'm an employment specialist for it, and this grant is um, Supportive Services for Veteran Families, or the SSVF grant. Um, and so a little bit about that grant is... Um, it's assisting homeless uh, veterans, and to qualify, you either have to be homeless or at imminent risk of becoming homeless. Um, and so, if you're once you're eligible or found to be eligible, then you'll get assigned to a case manager, and they will pay for the first uh, five to six months of rent. And then, if they see um, a need for employment, then they'll send them my way, um, and then. Uh, I'll get them oriented into the uh, Employment Access Center where um, I'm located and uh, through Central City Concern, and then we'll um, start their supportive uh, employment services under the the SSVF grant. Do you... uh First off, how did you get into this? Before I I get into more detail, how did you um, get an interest in this work? Um, so, I guess specifically with the um, veteran population, um, my my mom's a veteran, and um, so you know I grew up um, low income, single parent uh, family home. Um, you know, like I said, my mom's a, a veteran, so I I have a personal experience. Um, 
tying to veterans and just kind of knowing um, some of the hoops that we have to jump through to access some of the veteran resources or any other community resources um, to assist with familial needs. Ah, so you had firsthand uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when someone comes in, you say, you say you're looking, um, you're servicing people that are either homeless or near homelessness. Mm-hmm. Do you, what do you see more of? Do you see people reaching out kind of before it gets to that? Or do you... Uh, um, are, yeah, it's, it's kind of 50-50. I mean, they're, so while they're... Um, before they're sent my way, um, they are in in the process with their case manager of um, searching for housing. Um, and so more often than not, when they reach me, they're still in the process of searching for housing. Because um, as I'm, I'm sure it's been brought up before, there's um, a, a lack of permanent housing available in Portland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We talked a lot about that. Yep. And so... um, One of the downfalls of being such a wonderful, popular city is (laughs) that it's hard to get an affordable place to live. Yeah, definitely. And and so more often than not, um, they're currently homeless. Um, And so I'm... The case manager and myself are kind of working um, kind of together to fit in those puzzle pieces. And these are whole families that are homeless or yeah. uh, because you, do you just do families or do you do single people as well that are? Yeah, single people and and families okay. as well. Yep. And and so you have entire families that are out mm-hmm. living on the street and. Right. Um, and in some cases, um I, I've known that um, some families, just in severe situations, a family of six was set up in um, a hotel for um, a month or two or ho- however long they needed until they found permanent housing just so that they were in um, a safe place. How is this? Um, first off, what's the what's the, like the typical age demographic or is there not a typical one? Is it usually older um, veterans or... Yeah, it's kind of all across the board. Um, I've it's it's been kind of interesting because I've even gotten um, veterans that are my age, and I'm 27, so or even a little bit younger. Mm. Um, and so um, anywhere from around my age to you know 60s or 70 year olds. So it's all been all across the board. And how how many people are um, how many families and how many people are are you guys dealing with? How many are you helping, um, like your specific Mm -hmm. group, your foundation? Um, well, so in Portland, there was a, you know, a huge push to end veteran homelessness. And in order to do that, we had to house, um, it was about, I think to reach our goal, we have to house at least 60 or more families a month. So, um, I mean, our caseloads are probably, yeah. Are these new families, or is a lot of this ongoing? Um, a l- new families, because okay. um, SSVF once um, the rental assistance is up, um, and typically it's like five to six months that they'll pay for. Um, but in extreme or you know in extreme cases, they can extend it to up to nine months of rental assistance. But once that assistance is up or ended, then they are done with the SSVF grant. And what's the SSVF grant again? What's it's a supportive for? services for veteran families. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that seems uh, in a in a country where you can't turn on the TV or turn on the news without some politician mm-hmm. doing some pandering speech about supporting the troops and right. blah, blah, blah. It, it's, it's surprising to hear that this is still such an issue. These people that, you know, were supposed to be, you know, these heroes, you right. know, that we're supposed to be supporting and mm-hmm. all of that and our own government isn't, isn't mm-hmm. doing enough clearly. What, what kind of, I, I, what's happening? Are, are these people not getting, resources once they're out of the military? Um, I think, I mean, from my experiences, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of mental illness and, um, also this kind of idea that, you know, you, you know, served for your country and there's, there can be a lot of pride with that. And so sometimes, you know, it can, um, 
be hard for them to even take that, you know, and take initiative to take that first step to get any assistance. And a lot of them do end up covering it up with, um, you know, other coping mechanisms such as substance use and abuse. And then that can, you know, lead to dependency. And there you are, you found yourself in this situation. So it's, I think there's becoming more of an awareness regarding veteran homelessness or even just like the initial, you know, once, you know, um, veterans return um, from any type of deployment that um, there's more um, counseling and yeah, yeah, available to assist with, you know, whatever um, challenges that they're facing from their deployment or anything. What what kind of challenges are you seeing? Are you talking about like PTSD usually or Yeah, I've personally I've noticed a lot of paranoia and a lot of PTSD. Just um not trusting the system and you know I've I've noticed a, a lot of them don't even want to um get involved with the VA because um some of them have had poor experiences and just all there's a lot of hoops that um they feel that they have to jump through, I guess. Oh, you mean with the Veterans uh, Association specifically yeah. that, that they've uh, they've had trouble um, working with? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I thought maybe you're talking about like they were like mm-hmm. bitter about their military oh. experience or something. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I haven't experienced much of that. I mean, yeah. and it, it also depends on um, when they served too and what conflict was, you know, going on during their service. But yeah, a lot of it's, you know, paranoia, um, and yeah, a lot of, um, PTSD, um, and, and more often than not, they, they tend to cover that up with substance use and abuse. So, um, I had on, um, oh, geez, now I'm having a, brain fart i'm forgetting his name who i had on yesterday who was a veteran at one point um the recovering gary gary yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. he and he because he explained that he um you know tried through the va to get support and Mm -hmm. and some of it helped and some of it wasn't working very well for him Mm -hmm. and and then you know it wasn't until he got involved with the central city concern that he was able to kick his drug addiction and, and turn his right. life around and everything. So, so, and I'm sure the VA does a lot of good work for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, what, definitely. When, when it seems to be um, failing people or, or when people seem to have, be having problems with the Veteran Association, what, what, what are they saying? Like, what are their grievances? What? Um, well, they just, uh, they, you know... Th- I think a lot of them are, um, you know, they'll go to one individual and, you know, discuss whatever challenges it is that they're facing or what, you know, resources that they might need to access. And um, they are just keeping told to, um, they're just being pushed around and, oh, you should talk to this person. And then they're, you know, um, they feel that they aren't getting the answers that they're looking for or their needs met. So uh, yeah. Oh, well, it's. I mean, I went through um, with my injury. My listeners, I'm sure, are so sick of hearing <laughs> me talk about my dumb injury last year. But um, mm-hmm. but I haven't talked about this. I don't think on the program much. Okay. It was just trying to get um, my insurance to go mm-hmm. through. It was just the bureaucracy involved with. I remember I was trying to get out of state. I travel all the time and mm-hmm. I was trying to get care while I was traveling. It wasn't so much an issue when I was actually in California where I technically live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, it'd, it'd be making a call and then someone would be like, Hey, well, okay, you should be able to get this, call this other service. And then I'd call that service and they'd be like, call this other yeah. service. I'd be like, well, that's the one that I just right. talked to. <laughs> so is it, do you think it's an issue that um, of bureaucracy or, or, or just that maybe the VA just has so much, it's such a huge organization that right. kind of things get lost in the shuffle? Yeah, I, I guess I would agree with that, um, the latter, that it's, you know, the VA is so huge and there's so many different avenues, you know, that you could go down and um, 
it can, yeah, be easy to get lost within that. So, so with 60 families, you guys are probably able to be a, a bit more hands-on, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, how, how many employees do you have that are working on this specifically? Um, so the, the SSVF um, team here in Portland, um, gosh, there's, there's probably about 25 of us or so. Or maybe even a little more. Um, I mean, we have a, a legal team um, working on. Uh, so, if um, anyone needs assistance with any expungements that may be a barrier to access housing or anything like that, we have a legal team working with them um, to um, kind of work through any of those barriers. Um, and then we have multiple case managers in um, that are subcontracted through other agencies because um, Transition Projects is the grant holder, and um, there's Northwest Pilot Project, there's Impact Northwest, there's NEA, all these different other you know organizations of case managers that are specifically working for this. So, yeah, it's about a team of 20, 25 or more, yeah. And so, so people come in, come to you guys looking mm-hmm. for support, right? This isn't right. like you're not out on the street asking people if they're veterans or whatever, right? Um, well, we we do have this um, veteran registry, and so we we did have some outreach workers trying to get a count. And actually, I, I volunteered at one point too to um, you know. Yeah, to get a census, sort of. Right, right, and to you know try and reach out to them, um, you know, especially since to we wanted to be able to house every homeless veteran by the end of this year, and so therefore we you know pushed harder and had volunteers to go out and do some more outreach to have them you know access our services or maybe make it more easily accessible. Wow. Uh, so what's that like when you're going out on the street? Are, are you finding like these little kind of tent city-ish areas? And Yeah. And yeah, there's there's quite a few. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you've seen just your experience here in Portland. There's a lot. You can't, you <laughs> can't go too far. Yeah. In, but I, I mean, for for all of the wonderful things Portland has right. going for us, it is... Um, a little bit disheartening to right. see all of the homelessness around because it, right. it's definitely difficult to ignore. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, because they they did a study this year too, um, kind of off. Um, I don't know. Uh, it was January twenty eighth, I believe, and they um, did a, a count of just all of the homeless um, individuals on the streets. And that's only volunteers that were able to count in the areas that they were in. And they counted close to 4,000 on that one night. And Mm. that's only the individuals that they were able to um, find, Find, right. Right. So they... Just walking around. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And so they imagine it could be three to four times more than that in Portland here. And, of course, during the, you know, the season changes or whatever... um, they'll fluctuate um during the summer there's more yeah yeah homeless individuals so. <laughs> the, the the cold rain mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. gets people um yeah <laughs> heading migrating south i imagine right if, if they have the means to mm-hmm. do so yeah um yeah I, I i mean not that i can ever imagine mm-hmm. what it would be like to yeah. be homeless hopefully i'll never have to imagine that but yeah. um yeah but uh yeah i think i would be heading to like key west or, <laughs> or, or something it seems right. i mean i was in i was in tacoma washington um last weekend and mm-hmm. i was i was walking with my nice new heavy coat on yeah um and and layers of clothing and you Mm -hmm. know nice shoes and everything else and i had to walk like three blocks from the hotel to the comedy club in in cold moderate rain and it's not even (laughs) i imagine it's only going to get colder right Right. and and uh i i can't imagine what that that would be and that that's probably spending 10 minutes and I'm like mm-hmm. how does anyone handle <laughs> right. it here right <laughs> yeah yeah and actually I was um uh an individual that I was working with um he was talking to me about his um homeless experience and and he was he was just like um I couldn't imagine well 
the only way you could get me to sleep outside again in a cardboard box is if you gave me some booze. There's no way that I would want to be able to, you know, yeah, sleep yeah. at night sober. So therefore, uh, I, <laughs> I had a little booze to warm <laughs> up after. Yeah, I mean, so I, I definitely get it. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so like even having to do that because I mean. I know I wouldn't want to be sober if I had to sleep outside. So then that's only perpetuating the problem and um, creating that dependency and therefore that cycle. And Yeah, and obviously, yeah. I mean, just the, I mean, depression alone is, right. I, I went through, I didn't drink for like three years. And then mm-hmm. this summer when I started, I got off my crutches and under the cane and then realized that my foot might just be permanently screwed up yeah. for life and I just kind of fell into a depression that I couldn't snap myself out of yeah. and literally like alcohol was kind of the only way that I was able to like oh okay well now I can at least go out and talk with people and sure. somewhat start to function but I mean yeah. it's it's easy to see how mm-hmm. how that uh how that cycle can happen um right. when and I was living in a home and mm-hmm. Um, have a lot more going for me than I'm yeah. sure a lot of these people that are falling on uh, right. <laughs> such hard times. And yeah. and you said, so you said if you were ever going to live outside again, um, yeah. did you at one point go through um, a, a bit of homelessness? Um, well, that, that was the individual that I was talking with, um, who was homeless. But yeah, I, I have, um, experienced, um, it was during college and it, I, um, uh, started experimenting with drugs and drinking a lot. And, um, at that time, um, I would have said that it, I was homeless by choice, but home free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was living out of my car. And, um, I mean, I remember waking up in the morning to, you know, police officers knocking on my window, wondering what I was doing. Um, and if I was like safe or okay. And, um, yeah. And, but looking back on it, it was definitely, um, <laughs> a dependency, um, and and I even maintained a, a job, though, still. I mean, it was, you know, like I worked in the mall. So I was kind of a functional. Was this um, in the cross? Uh, this was actually in Eau Claire. Oh, Eau Claire. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Right. Yeah. Cause I, Wisconsin. I for, yep. uh, we, uh, we're both Wisconsinites for mm-hmm. the listener. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, I uh, went back to Eau Claire for the summer and um, lived out of my car while working a summer job at the mall and... Um, yeah, I was, you know, by definition, a functioning, um, I guess, drug abuser and alcoholic, I guess. Mm. Um, kind of drugs were you into? Um, I was, I <laughs> did a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cocaine never grabbed me, fortunately. Yeah. It's one of those, I've done it plenty of times, I guess, but I yeah. was, I was, every time I was like, eh, not for me. Yeah. Eh, yeah. Eh, whatever. I was able to stay up and mm-hmm. drink more with my friends, but yeah. uh, the next day I'm like, "Nah, eh, I'm not doing that yeah. again for a year." Yeah. <laughs> um, but some people, it's just like yeah. it just grabs people mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I I did dabble into psychedelics, and actually, um, I had a mushroom trip, and that's what made me stop everything. Really? Yeah. That's, uh, I was yeah, like, no, I'm done. I'm so happy to hear that I'm, uh, because I don't, I mean, I wouldn't normally bring it up on the show, but I am, uh, at this point, it's not much yeah. of a secret that I'm pretty pro-psychedelics. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they've, they've done a lot of um, good for my mental state as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. And I, I'm sure, and, and like every drug, like, mm-hmm. like, cocaine will grab some people and not Mm -hmm. others psychedelics will be therapeutic for some Mm -hmm. people and absolutely terrifying and and possibly lead to a schizophrenic break i'm a little skeptical about the schizophrenic break conclusion um that some people uh, i'm not sure how well studied that but that's been but anyhow Mm -hmm. um that that's uh that's interesting (laughs) to hear that mushrooms well they do they do help uh, i mean everyone wants to see Everyone wants to know like what they look like through other people's eyes. You know, sure. there's always a part of us. You look in yeah. the mirror, or you think about, well, well, I wonder what other people actually think about me. Yeah, and and psychedelics are kind of a 
I mean, not uh, you. You could never do that a hundred percent, but psychedelics mm-hmm. are kind of the closest way that we have of yeah. of kind of seeing yourself through a different set of eyes. Yeah, and right. I imagine that can be. I. I mean, I have had yeah. those experiences mm-hmm. where I've been like. Wait, what are you doing with your life right, <laughs> right. now? Right, yep. <laughs> you aren't accomplishing anything that you wanted to. Yeah. Or you aren't doing anything that you actually want to do. And that yeah. was actually um, one of the, when I quit smoking cigarettes and drinking mm-hmm. the first time around for a few years when I had a, a, a much more of a problem with it. That yeah. was one of the things that kind of helped for me not yeah. to we're, we're I, I don't mean to go off on some pro psychedelic yeah. rant well I already kind of have yeah. but um I, you know I was curious when you mentioned police coming to your um and knocking on your window and in the car mm-hmm. and everything what what uh what was what was that like like what was that behavior were they were they more like concerned about you would you get hassled some I, I suppose there were a lot of individual differences yeah. and it depended on the day and what uh, right. officer and what kind of mood that they were in but right I more often than not because you know I'm I'm this short little girl you know <laughs> <Right>. and so <laughs> more often than not they were concerned and so I would just you know I would drive off but then I'd park in a different spot and go back to sleep <laughs> right right yeah so uh and how long was that um, I did it uh, for about three, four months. So it wasn't that long, but yeah. it was um, definitely an interesting period of time in my life. Um, You're lucky or short. <laughs> I would have a real hard time sleeping in the back of yeah. a vehicle. <laughs> yeah. not, not that anything mm-hmm. about sleeping in the vehicle, uh, in the yeah. back of your vehicle is fortunate. But yeah. if you're going to be forced to do yeah. it, you don't <laughs> want to be six foot four. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be pretty uncomfortable um but yeah i mean it, you know it that had gotten to the point where um you know i um had gotten an owi i had all these fines and, and then now. i yeah and then i i had that shroom trip and in the therapeutic sense yeah it it was therapeutic for me i it was horrible and awful at the time right but it was definitely an eye-opening experience that's and what a lot of people say the, yeah. the, the people oh what if i have a bad trip it's like well the way that word is used yeah. is different because it's like... Even it, then you learn something. Yeah, it's like, you know, people cry and break down in therapy and mm-hmm. people aren't like, oh, I had a bad therapy, so right. I'm never doing that again. Sure. You know, a lot of times yeah. you do learn something from those mm-hmm. bad moments. But sorry, yeah. I cut you yeah. off. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was an, an eye-opening experience and then I... I had even almost um, dropped out of college because I was, like, doing poorly. I'd taken intro to social work three times because <laughs> I was just... Oh, so you were yeah. already interested in, in doing yeah, social work. Yeah, and then mm. I just got kind of um, stuck, you know, doing um, substances that I shouldn't have been, and it, right. it brought me down that path. But, um, you know, after that eye-opening experience, then I was just, like gung-ho and you know full speed ahead and and yeah and now you know I moved out to Portland and I work for Central City Concern and they are well this is such a great fit for you with your (laughs) with your history with Mm -hmm. with being raised with a a, in a veteran home right right then you know having gone through a patch like that yourself I mean that's I if I were homeless I'd much rather talk to you than uh man with a top hat and monocle. Right. I don't know who these top hat and monocle people are that are doing, that are working, doing homeless outreach. But, yeah. uh, but you know, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that it, it helps you kind of mm-hmm. connect with some people. Yeah, to, to just, you know, be able to understand that, um, you know, situations or things can happen. Um, you know, I had a guy who, um, was laid off in, um, a foreign country. And so he flew back to Portland and, you know, ended up staying around the airport area and didn't know, you know, didn't know what to do with himself, you know? So there's laid off in a foreign country. Yeah. He was in, um, an ESL instructor and the company that he was working for, 
Oh, I see. Yeah. And so, um, so I mean, you know, it could be a situational, you know, experience like that, you know, that could lead you to homelessness or it could be, you know, your mental illness and then using substance abuse to kind of cope with those, um, symptoms. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, um, factors that can play a role in that. And it's, I mean, I do want to be clear because I think some, well, one, not not every one of these people that you're working with is mm-hmm. is like uh, addicted to drugs or whatever, no. and I don't, no. and there there is such a stigma, and and some of it is, you know, reflecting of reality. There is a lot of drug abuse, but I mm-hmm. I think that. I think a lot of people with, I, I mean, you know, we're both from the Midwest yeah. and, <laughs> and, um, I mean, I th- it sounds like your upbringing was slightly different than mine was a little more like white picket fence kind of, sure. um, and, and I mean, to, to hear people around there talk about, I mean, th- these are people that never really had to mm-hmm. deal with anything yeah. in, in their lives. And I'm, I'm sure they would say that they've had as many troubles as anyone else or whatever, mm-hmm. but. But um, but drug drug use is one. Everyone goes through phases in college and yeah. whatever else. And yeah. and a lot of times when I like I have a roommate that's never once had a a drop of alcohol in his mm-hmm. life. Never once done any drug. And and yeah. I mean that to me is like I have a harder time identifying with that than yeah. I do. <laughs> a, a drug addict, you know, uh, right. uh, like I almost think that's crazy. And, and a lot of, I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit on this program. Humans, humans evolved. Humans have been chewing, chewing on mm-hmm. cocoa leaves for right. a very long time. And, mm-hmm. and just, just in the same sense that, you know, we eat for nourishment and, and, you know, sometimes people get out of hand with mm-hmm. eating and obesity is a problem. And right. there's these high saturated foods that we haven't evolved to eat that we don't really understand how they're kind of grabbing our brain and, and yeah. leading to these problems. A lot of these modern drugs are the same thing. And a, and a lot of times and sometimes and this is like a silly thing to say, but but I, I have seen. Um, a little bit of research showing that sometimes it does for people that don't have another outlet, it actually does uh, blow off a little steam for people once mm-hmm. in a while. And then, and then sure. of course that leads to addiction and then the right. real problems start. Right. Right. But um, I just don't want people to judge, um, mm-hmm. you know, these people and, and, uh, I think the inclination for a lot of people is to be like, well, that's all their fault then. Right. And, and why don't they just stop, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get their stuff together? Mm-hmm. You know, I have to. Why don't they just get their? Yeah. And it's just sim- not that simple. No, it, it definitely isn't. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are many examples of, you know, just, you know, life happens. Um, I, you know, had an individual who lost his wife and um, went, you know, down into just, I don't know, suffering from depression after mm-hmm. that. And it just kind of led him into a downward spiral. And um, so, I mean, that's an example of, you know, just life happening. And, and I think, um, I mean, yeah, there's that stigma and a lot of people think, you know, like, oh, they're just, you know, mentally ill, they're crazy or they're, you know, an addict. But it's not always the case for sure. Yeah, I was I was talking with uh, when I had Ed on. I was I was talking about a story, and I didn't even really tell the whole thing. But this is one of my I probably shouldn't even be talking about it, but I'm going to. <laughs> it was one of my exes, um, her her father who passed away, but but he was this guy who was just like one of the sweetest guys. He's a, a had his own veterinary practice pillar in the community, avid, avid churchgoer, you know, and he was one of these guys that I'm sure would, would judge drug addicts quite harshly. And, and when he was old later in life, he got like some sort of back injury or something like that at like the exact same time his Mm. first son died and he started doing, it was just this double doozy and he started doing, you know, you know, he got painkillers, which were prescribed quite freely by mm-hmm. doctors and then sure. and then him being a vet was then able to uh, right. gain access to drugs and and then it was it really right. turned uh i mean there's there's people that have been 
worse off, but he, but mm-hmm. he had to go through all sorts of rehab and never, right. never in the rest of his life ever freed himself completely yeah. from, from the addiction. So this stuff can happen to yeah. absolutely anybody. Right. Right. And I, you know, I think with that being said, I, I think there needs to be more of an awareness of coping mechanisms and being able to, you know, work through those, um, you know, challenging life, um, situations. I, I think, um, I mean, with that being said too, there's such a stigma upon seeing a therapist even in the first place. Um, you know, and so I think, I I think it's, you know, getting better now, but still there's, you know, kind of that, yeah, stigma upon just even seeing a therapist in the first place. So does SSVF, so, so is it now part of Central City Concern or, or did they, or, or is it two different organizations? Um, Uh. it's, well, it's now a part there. Um, we're contracted through them, um, because we, so Central City Concern has the Employment Access Center and TPI or Transition Projects, um, doesn't have all of the the resources that we do as far as employment goes. And so I'm actually the first employment specialist under the SSVF grant. And we also have a couple case managers that are working through Central City Concern but are working for SSVF. So my question was was because you talked about earlier some of these um, some of these veterans whether whether it's because it hasn't maybe been ad- adequately provided for them or mm-hmm. they've or they're paranoid or or they're just reluctant to seek help in the first place what kind of do you guys um specifically uh offer counseling or do you are are you like setting them up with counseling through a different yeah we'll yeah we'll set them up with counseling if if um you know we see that there is a need or they express a need or anything like that, then we'll refer them to some form of counseling. Um, yeah. So if someone, um, if someone has, uh, I have a lot of homeless listeners. Um, if, <laughs> what, what's the process like when, when someone comes in and when someone is, uh, seeking help, what, what do they do for SSVF? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if, you know, like I said, if they're um, homeless or at imminent risk of becoming homeless, um, such as like they're going to be evicted in, you know, 60 days or something like that, um, then they can contact um, the SSVF hotline in which um, they'll be screened. And during that screening process, that will determine their eligibility. And if they are eligible and qualify, such as I you know, just mentioned, either homelessness um, or homeless or at imminent risk of becoming homeless, then they'll get assigned to a case manager. And, um, and then that case manager will um, assess them and see what all their needs are and identify those needs and then also work with them um, to search for housing or permanent housing. Mm-hmm. And then if they see employment as a need, then they'll send them my way. Um, and, you know, just whatever, whatever resources that they, they see would be fitting for their individual case, then um, they'll... Uh, help navigate and provide them resources to assist with those needs. So you're, you're mostly working on the employment side of things. Yeah. And yeah. so, so what, what's that like? I mean, I, I can't, I, I mean, uh, cause often, cause often the, the, uh, you know, the cliche is people will be like, oh, get a job, you bum sure. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, obviously it's not, not that uh, yeah. uh, easy. I, I think my uh, my old friend Greg Giraldo, who, who passed away, he had a how does this joke go exactly? But it was addressing <laughs> that as something like this guy's wearing underwear on the outside <laughs> of his pants. I'm pretty sure McDonald's even has an underwear on right. the inside of your pants <laughs> policy. Yeah, something to that effect. <laughs> sure. But but I mean, I imagine this this must be. Um, I mean a challenge if if you're looking like you've been living on the street for a while and you don't have an address to put on the application and right right yeah I, it definitely um can create uh, a huge barrier um 
So not only do we work with these, um, do I work with these veterans, um, but I also um, will go out into the community and talk to employers and talk to them about what I do and try and build relationships with them. And um, if all goes well, we'll create a good partnership. And um, we've you know, I've been able to get people employed just through, you know, just kind of being the middleman, basically, um, just bridging that gap and um, maybe explaining certain situations or not, or just kind of, yeah, describe what, what it is that I'm doing in the population that I'm assisting. So uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of jobs are you? I, I mean, there's probably um, a lot of different ones, but what, what, yeah. what kind of jobs do you have uh, like good connections with or are you finding the most success with? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of like warehouse jobs. Um, I've, um, you know, a lot of it, um, positions. There's also, um, Metro, um, it will, the, the organization is called Metro in Portland and they kind of, um, oversee the, like the Oregon zoo, all of the, um, like, Portland Center for the Arts building, um, you know, just all, all of the, um, all of those kind of entertainment-ish um, buildings throughout Portland. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's that. Um, there's a lot of, um, uh, even uh, in the service industry. So um, it's, it's kind of a really pretty um, broad, but um, a lot of different categories for employment. Um, so we're just kind of all over the place. And it's always based on the individual that we're working with. Whatever they're interested in um, for employment, we'll kind of search um, through what, you know, con- companies or organizations to help them find employment. So. so think about that before you stiff someone on their tip <laughs> next time. That, <laughs> yeah. might be a, that might be a right. homeless veteran trying to provide for their family and right. get back on their right. feet. Um, so... <laughs> So what? So so when you're working with someone who's looking for employment, are you? Um, it, it, so so you're kind of this middle uh, middle man, middle woman uh, mm-hmm. in, in between. But but are you helping them, like kind of putting together their application and walking them through some of that? And uh, like, are, are are you helping coach with interview techniques or? Mm-hmm. Any of that kind of... Yeah. So um, at the Employment Access Center, we have um, uh, several classes that are held every week. Um, so we, we um, so for starters, um, we have the class that's called Job Readiness. And that's, you know, if you haven't had um, employment in years, or even if you've never even been employed, um, that can assist with um, boundaries at work or kind of, you know, um, your attire, like how you, you know, should be dressed, just kind of learning the basics about re-entering into the working community. Um, and then also if you, if you're ready to work, but you, you're not sure what type of work you want, we have a class, um, called career mapping and that's just taking a look at your skills, your interest areas, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. Um, and, um, so that can assist with, you know, finding, um, you know, what what type of employment would be best for you? Um, we also have resume classes um, and a computer skills class. So um, and then the employ- employment specialist that they're assigned to um, will work on them one on one with um, some of these skills that they they might need. That's interesting. I, yeah, I, I imagine. Um, I mean, some of these people just aren't physically capable of doing like a warehouse job mm-hmm. or whatever. That's. Sure. So uh, you guys provide computer skills, and um, mm-hmm. uh, all right. Well, that's uh, that's amazing. That do, do you have any? Do you have any like big success stories that that you're really proud of? Like like one of those that's like, oh, this is why I yeah. do this. Um, I think I. I mean, I, I guess I've had several of them, but I this one um, individual that I was working with. He had gotten um, four different positions 
all part-time. Um, and just the words that came out, out of his mouth at, at the end there, he was like, you know, I don't think I need you anymore. I don't, I don't think I need to see you anymore. And, you know, as you know, sad as that sounds, it was pretty amazing. Like, yeah. you know, I you know, we helped news. you. Yeah, that's, you know, he doesn't need my help anymore, which was amazing. And it's it's always pretty awesome when I'm able to hear that when they don't need to see me anymore. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, so so if people want to find out more about SSVF and or Central City Concern, mm-hmm. uh, where can they go? Um, well, for Central City Concern, you can visit their website, and that's centralcityconcern.org. And then um, for SSVF, because it is a national um, program, you could even um, just search um, SSVF Portland, Oregon. Um, I, unfortunately, I don't know the, the hotline number by heart. No, no, but it'll yeah. all be on the herewearepodcast.com yeah. website. But, so. yeah. So, uh, okay, that's great. That's an, so, so SSVF is a national organization. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone has, um, say someone has a family member that they're concerned about, what, mm-hmm. um, what do you recommend? They, uh, can they just go and do some research um, for resources in their local area? Yeah, I, I think I would, um, yeah, just do some research and see if they would kind of fit those um, eligibility requirements or just kind of see what's, what's available. Of course, it'll depend on, you know, what their situation is. But I think um, just a little research, because there's a lot of resources out there. Um, you know, you'd, you'd be surprised. So I guess definitely um, some research. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, I, I was wondering, what, what kind of things do you get frustrated with that, that you wish, like, maybe from a policy perspective, something uh, that would maybe change or, or mm-hmm. people were more aware of or had a bit more attention? Um, so I guess what what is frustrating to me is, so, you know, you, you see all these um, homeless individuals on the streets and... Um, homeless individuals can be ticketed or fined for basically being on the streets for being homeless. <laughs> and which I, to me, I think that's really absurd because they're homeless. They probably don't have any, you're just keeping them on the streets longer. Right. right. And so, you know, it, it's just a vicious cycle. And so to me, um, I know, um, there's the, um, it's called the Homeless Bill of Rights. And I know that um, some organizations within Portland have been working currently to try and push that um, further so that, you know, instead of um, police officers, um, I hate to use the word harass, but if police officers, you know, instead of ticketing these right. people, why not hand them a referral or a resource of where they could go um, instead of, making the problem worse and um, only continuing that cycle. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like very reasonable, <laughs> a very <Yeah>. reasonable solution <laughs> yeah. um, to a, a troubling problem. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Leanne Keller, for joining me and, uh, and sharing your, your story and uh, such wonderful information. And thank you, listeners, for being curious. And I will talk with you next week. Thank you guys for listening. Next week on the program, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. A really great episode. You guys, um, I, I get I get a lot of comments all the time um, saying more marketing people, more behavior economics people. Uh, a lot of the listeners seem to be a fan of that kind of stuff. And so that is uh, exactly what we're going to be talking about next week. Some really interesting, you know, as, as kind of, Per the huge, very counterintuitive stuff that um, uh, that is really interesting to think about. Fun stuff that I I find myself um, I, uh, since recording it. I uh, just last night I was hanging out with some friends and I was um, telling them, showing off my new fun facts that I had learned. Uh, so I think you guys are really going to like it. Uh, we address things like. Um, uh, if you're into behavioral economics stuff, you may have you may have heard about this. So the difference between 
getting a car that is um, it gets 10 miles to the gallon and 12 miles to the gallon, and then the difference between a car that gets 40 miles to the gallon and and 55 miles to the gallon, which of those two differences is going to save you the most money in a year? And the result may be a little confusing and surprising at first, and all will be explained next week. So, uh, you know, if you're into, like, the Dan Ariely stuff, or um, I should have quick looked at my long list of of guests. We've done a bunch of episodes like this, always good ones. So you guys are going to like it a lot and it will be the last one of of the year before New Year's. So that is exciting stuff, I guess. Do we care about calendars? Sure we do. Why not? Um all right. I'll talk with you guys next week. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Yunt. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. And he's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my, 